Hello fellow travelers, this is Paul and I'm back with another episode of the Wayfarer Pedalcast, a podcast about traveling by bicycle and other bikey things. I had an opportunity to interview Rob Layton, owner and operator of Bike Wisconsin and Bike Illinois, while I was participating in the great annual bicycle adventure along the Wisconsin River back in June of 2019. I apologize for the poor audio quality in advance. The room where we did the interview was a bit echoey, but I think the content is worth the effort. I call this episode, Episode 3, Grab Bar, The Boss. First, can you just introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Hey, my name is Rob Layton. I am the uh, owner and ride director of Bicycle Illinois and Bike Wisconsin. So how long have you been doing this particular event? Uh, well, the grab bar itself, we purchased Bike Wisconsin back in, back at the end of the 2016 season. So uh, our, first, our first year running the Bike Wisconsin events was 2017. Uh, so 2019 will be our third year uh, running the, uh, the grab bar, SAG Bra, and Bike Northwoods tours. Um, the Will to Bend tour... Uh, we were originally contracted by uh, Sparta, the uh, Sparta Area Chamber of Commerce, to run the initial Built to Bend ride back in 2015. Uh, as Bicycle Illinois, we've actually, after we took on uh, Bike Wisconsin, we actually folded the Built to Bend into the Bike Wisconsin mix. Um, so for that one, uh, 2019 will be the fifth year of the Built to Bend ride. Okay. And for this particular event, Grab Bar, yeah. so that's great uh, annual bike. Bicycling, bicycling, yes. <laughs> Give me the full. <laughs> oh, sure. It's a, it's the great, great. That's the gr. Great annual bicycling adventure along the Wisconsin River. Right. Yeah. Okay. And how long was that going before you took it over? Oh uh, well, my understanding is that it was actually started back in '86. Uh, was the first year. So. Um, it's, it's been a lot of work getting this uh, back off the ground, back to the back to the levels and, and um, you know service levels that uh, that it needs to be at. Uh, so I still have, and I still kind of need to do my own personal research in terms of uh, the history of the ride. Um, but I believe I believe the first year was in '86. Uh, so uh, what that would make this it would that would make this the 34th year. Oh, it's quite a long history. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a major ride. Um, what I've noticed traveling across the state already, and just you know meeting people, um, there's a really really fantastic goodwill towards the ride. People just have very fond memories of it, uh, which is you know a great base to go off of uh, for the future. Uh, I noticed that too as I was going along the route. A lot of people. I stopped and talked to people here and there, and they, yeah. they seemed to know what, what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I guess the routes have they varied over the years, but generally go through the same areas. Generally, yeah. There's some variations here and there. Um, I mean, the, the intent with the route is, is that it does not change uh, significantly year after year. Um, sometimes we might change stopping towns. Sometimes we might change routes or rest stop locations. Uh, but it will always be basically from the headwaters of the Wisconsin River, all, you know, along the river itself, uh, to the end in Prairie du Chien, right. where it meets the Mississippi. Now, how many people are involved, or how many participate in the event this year? Uh, so this year we had about 75 uh, participants, in addition, uh, you know, staff members and uh, volunteers. And then associated uh, family uh, as well. Right, right. But yeah. actually, 75, 70, riders. 75 riders approximately, oh, yeah. That's pretty good. And what's the age range of the riders? Uh, typically, the age range is maybe like late 40s to late 60s. 
Um, I typically see a slightly older demographic just because to do this type of ride, um, you know, it, it takes a significant amount of time. Right. Uh, that's usually actually the biggest cost for folks is getting the time mm-hmm. to be able to do the ride. So um, it tends to skew towards more, uh, more towards that demographic uh, just because, you know, they have either more time, uh, vacation time built up at work or particularly, you know, recently retired where it's something like, hey, I've always wanted to do that. Now I have the time uh, to do so. Right. And it's a bit difficult because of the timing for, like, kids because they're still in school, a lot of them. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Plus, too, with it being almost a 500-mile ride, the challenge of it, um, I mean, I know we do have the one 16-year-old, and that's fantastic. But, you know, it can be significantly challenging, right. uh, you know, if you're uh, you know younger and don't really have the experience yet to be able to do sure. something like this. I noticed that there's people from various places, and they're not all from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. What What's the percentage you would you say of people who are actually here living in Wisconsin and those who are not um you know I'd have to go back and check you know I I wish I could give you an exact number of the Wisconsin residents versus uh, residents from other state but I would say um based on what I've seen I would say it's roughly a third of a a third Wisconsin residents uh, a third Illinois residents and then a third um from you know, wherever. Typically, typically, just again, another uh, you know consideration for doing this stuff is travel to and from the end of the location. So typically, it's either going to be Wisconsin or Illinois uh, or regionally, maybe Iowa. I mean, you know, there's people from Iowa, uh, Minnesota. So I typically like to say it's like Illinois, Wisconsin, and neighboring states is generally about ninety five percent of the participation. Yeah. Certainly, transportation between the start and end points is rather. Problematic. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's when it, whenever you've got a point to point ride like this, yeah. where you start in point A and end in point B, obviously you have to have a way. People need to get you know to the start or from the end, yeah. uh, and so obviously we have our transportation service before the start to be able to take care of that. Right, right. There's a bit of a logistics challenge. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> the name of the game here. Is logistics. It's all about figuring out how to make it work. So I noticed during the past week, I was talking to several people. There's a guy from Colorado and mm-hmm. uh, met some two fellows from Missouri. Yep, yep. And yeah, I think you mentioned there was someone from Florida. Oh, uh, yeah. We have a gentleman that drove from Miami to do this. And, of course, yourself traveled <laughs> quite a distance. Yeah. Um, what else? We have a group of folks from Colorado. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we definitely get some folks from across the country. And the world. <laughs> <laughs> My first international. <laughs> um, for this event, since I've run it, yes, uh, we get a handful of folks uh, internationally actually for our Ragbri transportation service because we're you know based out of Chicago, mm-hmm. so it makes it easy. Uh, did, actually, I'm just curious. Did you fly in and out of Chicago? Yeah. See, so um, instead of you know going going through Chicago and then somewhere else, uh, since we're based in Chicago, it makes it a lot easier transportation wise to attract international mm-hmm. people as well. About the route, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So far, the route has been excellent. Oh, it's, hold on. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Great. Uh, very, very uh, good. Uh, very lightly traveled streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, good variation of flats and rolling hills. So what kind of work goes into preparing the route? Well, I, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. We need that. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, you know, there's some, uh, you know, some of the, I, I can't tell you all my secrets. But, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously safety is by far the single most important factor um, of the route itself. Um, cycling is an inherently dangerous sport, of course, as we all know. Um, and so when and where possible, we can make it, uh, you know, as safe as possible. Um, you know, we, that's always the, the primary consideration. So we will always... 
all else being equal, we will always choose to travel on the um, you know fully paved back roads as opposed to like a state or a U.S. highway. Mm. Um, bike paths, of course, um, are the ideal situation because you know they're easy to follow and fully paved than the most scenic. But unfortunately, uh, most of the time, uh, there's not necessarily a bike path uh, where we're going. So I noticed that the, you've got the route marked. It's pretty clear, except mm-hmm. when it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess that you had to go through the whole route and mark it. We, we did. Yeah, so uh, Jorge, our mechanic, and I, uh, we actually drove up here about two weeks ago. Uh, and so that serves both as our painting trip and also our final route scout. Um, so that's one of the reasons, too, that I don't like to publish the route before that, because if there's any changes from our planned route, right. um, you know, if we were to publish the route before that and there's any changes, and when we've run into this problem before where people don't get the change and, you know, they end up following the wrong route and go down, like, construction or bridge out or, you know, something like that. So anyways, uh, he and I came up about two weeks ago uh, and, you know, drove the route. Um, I was driving. Jorge had his hand out the window with a paint gun, um, and we literally just, you know, stopped you know, at most once every two miles uh, and painted the route. And I'm glad that, you know, I've, we've got quite a few compliments on the markings. I don't know, people are pretty much relying on those without even necessarily taking a look at their cue sheets and maps, right. uh, which is great, which is pretty much, um, you know, what we expect. And, uh, yeah, but it was it was a lot of work, for sure. <laughs> I imagine it was. Yeah. And we've stopped in a number of communities every, well, one community every day for lodging. What kind of work did you go into making those arrangements. Sure. So, um, and, you know, as you know, in each uh, main lodge, we, our stopping towns, we have like what we call our main lodging site. And what our main lodging site is, our center of tour services uh, in each town. Um, so with that, we offer both uh, indoor and what we, what we call indoor and outdoor uh, camping. So the indoor camping is um, like throwing down your sleeping bag and air mattress on like a gym floor. Uh, sometimes we use like community centers, uh, high schools, middle schools, uh, that type of thing. Uh, in some towns, uh, we'll use uh, a church with like a big fellowship hall or, or in Wausau, they, had a, they called it a guild hall. Um, so those work really well as well. Um, for the main lodging sites, um, basically the indoor camping, the outdoor camping, uh, got to have showers, obviously, at the end of the ride. That's critical. So uh, we, we tend to shoot for the facilities that have showers, you know, inherently as, as part of the facility. If not, um, we have alternate shower locations available again in Wausau. We use the YMCA. Uh, city pools work really good for shower locations. Um, and then just kind of a common area uh, where we can set up our breakfast for folks to, 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 to have breakfast. Obviously, we offer a continental style breakfast in the morning to get start to get folks off in the, the right way in the morning um, and also uh, set up our rest stop location. But setting up the main lodging sites, as you can imagine, is by far the most difficult thing uh, of getting this together because it's hard to convince a facility, hey, you know, let a hundred strangers come and stay overnight uh, in your facility. So that can be really challenging. But again, given the history of this ride and the goodwill, um, that really helps out as well because, you know, they know that we're, we're, we're good people and that we genuinely appreciate it. We leave the facility in, in good condition. Um, one of the, for places that we're new at, unfortunately, there can be the perception, you know, when we say we're a bunch of bikers, they can think that we're, you know, like Harley guys, and we're going to come in and tear the place up, which could not be further from the truth. I mean, at 10 o'clock p.m., you can hear a pin drop because everyone's already asleep getting ready for the next day. Yeah, yeah. Everyone tends to go to bed early. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're tired. <laughs> oh, yeah. Finding, uh, finding a place to, to sleep and, and fall asleep is never an issue. Right, right. So, uh 
Speaking of breakfast, yeah. now can you explain a little bit about the uh, food situation? Sure. So what we found to work the best is for food. Um, so on the road, at, we have designated rest stop locations on the road. And typically we set those up at like city parks and we found that they work the best. Um, and what we'll do is we'll, we'll provide basically all the food. We have everything all you can eat. We just found it's best. Uh, I don't like nickel and diamond people. I don't think that's right. Um, I don't want people to be concerned about being able to eat enough. So we just have a great selection of uh, fresh fruit, cookies, um, that type of thing. And I just want people to, to, to feel comfortable that they're going to you know, have enough to eat. I've never, I've never had those complain, you know, hey, Rob, um, really, this is not enough food. Never an issue whatsoever. Um, so that's how we do the, the rest stops on the road. Um, in the morning, we like to do, you know, as I mentioned, the continental salt breakfast. Uh, so, you know, it's light and simple, but it's just good, healthy, nutritious food, really the most appropriate stuff for, um, you know, for what you need for cycling, cereal, yogurt. Um, a full full rest stop, uh, so the fruit and the granola bars and cookies and stuff. Um, what else? Uh, bagels. Um, uh, what, I'm trying to picture uh, what else we have at the breakfast. Um, cereal. Uh, coffee. Coffee. You gotta have. I forgot the most important thing. Coffee. <laughs> Got to have coffee. Fully leaded, fully caffeinated coffee. You wouldn't believe how many times I get asked. Do you guys going to have coffee in the morning? Yes, absolutely. We all need to get that kickstart in the morning because our mornings are so early. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we, we offer and we provide the rest stops and breakfast as part of all of our week-long tours. Now, for the lunches uh, on the road and for dinners in town, uh, we've just found that it's best for people to do that on their own, just at a local restaurant. Uh, for lunches on the road, um, you know, that's only for people that – I found about 50% of people maybe, if that, go and get lunch on the road. Um, the other half is just, you know, fully sufficient with the, the rest stops uh, that we provide. Um, so, yeah, so for the lunches, you know, find a, a diner in town or a subway or, you know, whatever whatever you like. Um, and then dinners are all on your own. So we, we're, we're downtown uh, that we're staying at is not close enough. We'll provide uh, shuttle transportation uh, to the downtown of that town uh, when it's close enough like it is here in Baraboo. You know, we just have people walk. It's just obviously the most convenient thing to do. Um, I think that's the best thing, too to have people go uh, to the local bars and restaurants for dinner. I, I think it gives the best flavor of the town. It gives the best variety for folks. Food is one of those things where you can never please anybody. You can never please everybody all the time. So I just found it's best to just say, hey, bars and restaurants, that's your specialty, and uh, let people make their own decisions accordingly. So basically, I'm a meditarian. I meat. And okay. Meat. I mean, yeah, okay, cool. Meat, you're, but, you're a carnivore. <laughs> carnivore, yeah. Okay, cool. But for, say you were a vegetarian. Sure. How would a vegetarian get by on? Uh, well, sure. We, we, we've never had any issues. We, we fully, um, we can fully support vegetarians. In fact, one of our staff members is vegan. So, um, you know, he helps to make sure that uh, we've got good vegetarian vegan options as well. Um, but yeah, all of our rest stops uh, are vegan, vegan and vegetarian friendly. Um, trying to think, really the only item on the rest stops that would not be is we've got Slim Jims, but um, I don't think there's any other thing that wouldn't be, you know, vegan friendly. Um, at the breakfast uh, for, you know, participants who are either lactose intolerance or vegetarian vegan, uh, we also offer uh, almond milk and uh, soy milk, uh, you know, for the cereals in the morning. And we also have, uh, you know, for the meditarians, we've got Slim Jims. <laughs> we've got plenty of beer and burgers in town. Right. When you participate in the ride, are there different levels of participation? I'm riding the whole thing, but sure. Can somebody like just do one or two days? Absolutely. Or? Yeah. So we do offer we do offer partial day options. 
Uh, you know, like I mentioned to you earlier, one of the big factors of participating in these is just, you know, having the time off. Uh, well, I call it the two W's, getting time off either from work or the life. Um, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. So if you can't do the whole week, um, that's certainly not a reason not to participate. And so, um, you know, even if you can only come out for a day or two, hey, come and do the ride and you're going to have a blast. And next year, you're going you're gonna to want to do the whole thing. That's great. If, if there's a family member or a friend who doesn't want to ride but uh, still wants to participate, is that also possible? Absolutely. So um, particularly for wives or girlfriends who aren't in, on the ground bar event, for example, uh, who aren't into such avid or challenging cycling, um, we also offer them this volunteer opportunities. Like we've got volunteers that are helping us work the rest stops uh, in town at night for the shuttle service. Uh, you know, when we need that, um, they, they've got the option of maybe driving a, a shuttle van, uh, folks. Another one is to help us prepare, like, the fresh grapes and oranges. Uh, we've got some ladies who are helping to prepare us uh, do that, uh, make sure that the rest stops are fully stocked with the fresh grapes and oranges every day. So lots of volunteer opportunities. Um, you know, if somebody wanted to uh, volunteer um, as a non-rider, actually the trip is free. Um, if somebody wanted to volunteer as a rider, so, you know, ride the whole ride, but also volunteer and help out in that way, the trip is only $150. So we get a lot of interest in, in the volunteer opportunities as well, because that's a really good deal. Yeah, it sounds like a good deal. What do you think the impact of Grab Bar is on the communities we go through? Well, that's one thing that as, as we continue to grow, we want to get more and more involved in the communities. You know, as you know, as you're talking to these towns, um, particularly back when the ride was bigger in its heyday, um, you know, there's still an impact from that. People still appreciate the ride. There's still very positive um, uh, goodwill towards the ride. Because when you, right now, when you have 75 hungry, thirsty cyclists coming into a town, you know, even for one or two, one or two establishments, that's a significant amount of business in one night. Well, now you multiply, um, you know, that times times 10 and we're up to 1,000 people. Well, my goodness, I mean, that's a huge economic impact uh, in that town. And then they, because they did such a big economic impact, um, you know, the town keeps wanting us back and back. And so, um, and then also, um, it's, a, it's a good, um, you know, impression of the town for the folks. It's a great impression of the riders on the town. So all of that together, um, it's a giant snowball effect that I can definitely see uh, starting. Right. Yeah. And so when, when you select a town for like a main lodging, mm -hmm. uh, do you make deals with local and like local establishments that, you know, were coming through town? Um, at, at this point, not so much, just because with the numbers that we have, we don't have as much of an impact uh, specifically, um, but we certainly uh, contact like the Chambers of Commerce, uh, where they have like tourism uh, bureaus, that kind of thing. We absolutely let them know that we're coming through. A lot of times, um, they'll be, like the Chamber of Commerce, they'll be willing to sponsor a, a shuttle bus, uh, like Wisconsin Rapids, they sponsored that bus for us. Um, you know, to bring folks from the main lodging site into downtown um, and obviously, um, you know, um, uh, frequent the, uh, the member businesses uh, of the Chamber of Commerce. Um, another thing, too, is a lot of times, um, you know, like in Wausau, we had restaurants with special setups specifically for our group because the dynamics of this when we go into town is... You know, you're going to go where everybody else in the group is going. And so if there's some sort of a, you know, impetus for 
us to go to a location, let's say there's beer specials. Well, heck yeah, you know, we're going to go to a place that's got the beer specials. And then everyone's going to say, hey, where's the group at? Oh, you know, they're at Joe's Bar. Oh, cool, they've got beer specials. Hey, that's awesome. And so just by offering that, it's going to start that snowball effect. And then that one business that was willing to offer us specials, that one business that was willing to help sponsor the, the shuttle bus transportation, well, that's going to come back and then with increased business, um, you know, multi, multi-fold. You said you contact the Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. Do you also like contact the police and say, we're going to have this ride coming through? Generally, no. Um, just because at this point, again, I will contact the police department and the public safety offices when I feel that the ride could have some type of a negative impact on the community. And in other words, something that would need to be mitigated. Uh, with only 75 riders, it's not that big of an impact on the communities. Plus, two, you know, these are all public roads and public bike paths, so it's not like we specifically need permission to ride them. But then, on the other hand, too, you know, we want to be good neighbors, of course. We want to have there be, we want there to continue to be goodwill. Um, you know, so if we feel that maybe like an intersection, if we need some sort of a police escort, uh, maybe just, you know, the town where we're staying at might have an impact on, you know, just normal daily life of the town, um, then we absolutely try to inform the community that, hey, we're coming through. Let us know if there's any special considerations that we need to do. Uh, Because again, it's extremely important to maintain that goodwill with all the communities that we pass through. Right. You mentioned volunteers a little bit before, and I know you have a number of people who are actually staff members with Bike Wisconsin. Exactly how many volunteers and staff do you have working this particular event? Uh, Okay, so for this particular event, we have, uh, well, myself and then uh, Bryce and Brian. So we have three full-time staff members. Um, We have Jorge, our mechanic. Now, Jorge, he's actually a third-party vendor, so he's not a staff member. Um, So, but basically he gets paid, you know, for the mechanical services that he provides. Um, Volunteers, I think we've got seven or eight volunteers, again, helping to drive shuttle buses, uh, helping to prepare for fruit, uh, working rest stops. Um, yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. Great. Yeah. And this is what you call a supported tour. Mm-hmm. So for you, what would you define as the difference between a supported tour and an unsupported tour? To me, the way that I run our operations is with registration, what's included is everything that you need in order to do this. So, for example, um, you know, the route itself baggage transportation between the stopping towns, vehicle support on the road, rest stop locations, food at the rest stops, um, breakfast, the main lodging site, um, you know, first aid kits. Um, you know, basically everything that you need to have to do this is included, um, and that way you know that you can come out, have fun riding, and not have to worry about any of the stuff that you have to do, as opposed to a you know an unsupported or a solo trip. Well, you got to figure out, you got to bring all your stuff with you first of all on your bike. You got to figure out, hey, where am I going to camp for the night? Where you know where am I going to crash? Um, you're on your own for all your food on the road and off. Um, so really, what we do is we take away a significant amount of the worry, a significant amount of the logistic concerns. So that aside, you can have even more fun uh, riding your bike and then getting to know and socializing with everybody else on on the ride. Great. Yeah. So if if someone were say I've never done a tour before of any kind, mm-hmm. I ride my bike mm-hmm. and uh, but I want to try grab bar. Okay. I'm all going for the guts and the glory. <laughs> <laughs> so what would, what kind of gear would you recommend they have? Well, first of all, obviously, first and foremost is the bike. Right. Uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you get what you pay for. Um, the, the more money that you spend on the bike, the better experience that you're going to have. 
Um, that being said, of course, you know, we all don't start out riding, dropping, you know, six grand or whatever on the latest and greatest, fanciest bike. We all start out, you know, on a lower end bike. So um, to me, to me, it's less the gear itself and more your experience with the gear. For example, if I had somebody come and say, hey, Rob, I just bought this $8,000 new carbon frame Dura-Ace uh, Cannondale, and I, you know, it's going to be brand new. I'm picking it up from the bike shop on Friday. Saturday is going to be the first day that I ride it. That would be major, major red flags. As opposed to the guy who says, you know what? I got my bike. It was I bought it 500 bucks at a garage sale. I ride the heck out of this thing. I probably have got you know 3,000 miles in on this thing already. I've I've, I've owned it for four years. Um, yeah, I've had some you know some minor little stuff come up on it, but I you know I know how to fix it. That to me is green light because he knows his bike, he knows his equipment. Um, so it's it's not just because you don't have a fancier bike doesn't mean that you know you can't participate. But what it is is training and knowing what to expect. That's where just experience, getting miles on the road, um, doing some shorter events. Uh, when you come out and do something like this. Um, that's what training is all about. Training isn't just about being physically capable. Of, of course, that's a huge component, of course. Um, but it's also knowing your gear and knowing what to expect and being, a, being prepared to handle stuff that you can either reasonably expect or know that you will expect to come up on the road. And then that's why we're here, too, is to take care of the stuff that you weren't expecting. That's a real good point about knowing your gear, mm -hmm. not just the bike. Uh, you mentioned the bike. What other gear would somebody need to do if they're coming to the first time? I, oh, sure. People are, tenting outside some people are inside sure well um you know obviously um if you choose to uh, tent camp or sleep indoors you're going to need a sleeping bag and an air mattress um oh what else um if you choose to do it do the outdoor uh tent option obviously you need a tent although we also have tent rentals uh, available as well if you didn't want to have to lug around a tent and take it up uh, put it up and take it down each day um Good. Another thing I would highly recommend is quality cycling clothing. Um, once again, you get what you pay for. Um, I know some of the higher end stuff might, like higher end shorts, might be like eighty bucks as opposed to like thirty bucks for something less expensive. Your body will be thanking you at the end of the day. You will never regret spending the extra money for quality clothing um, when you're in that for you know however many hours per day with all different pieces, parts of your body rubbing against different other parts. Um, you will be very, very thankful that you spent the extra money to get something uh, good, for sure. Yeah, that's very true. So if you're not into camping and you don't want to sleep on the hard floor in the mm -hmm. gym, what are the other options that we can... Sure. So we also offer, uh, for all of our events, we also offer what we call a supported hotel option. So for folks, um, again, particularly um, with a, you know, tending, skewing towards an older demographic, a lot of folks are... You know, maybe say like, hey, back in my 20s, my 30s, no problem, but I'm, I'm done doing the, the camping thing. Um, so we also have uh, a hotel option available in every town. Um, and what we have is we call it our supported hotel. So we have one hotel in each town that we will provide free baggage transportation. Uh, we, we drop off baggage directly at the supported hotel as we come into town every day. And then we'll come by and pick it up from the hotel on our way out of town every day. Um, we have, we've, we've found it's best to just have one supported hotel in, in town. And typically those are like, like a mid-range hotel, uh, like a Quality Inn or a Days Inn or Super 8, something like that. We're not going to put people up at the, uh, at the Ritz-Carlton. We're not going to make them go to, you know, the Bates Motel either. <laughs> so, you know, just this good national uh, kind of mid-range, um, mid-range hotel brands. 
And what we found too about having the one supported hotel is unfortunately on these types of events, you know, the majority of folks will stay at the main lodging site, but there will be a significant percentage of people that, that do go to the supported hotel. And unfortunately, you know, one of the main values of doing these events is the whole social aspect of it. Um, I mean, you could go right across the state yourself, and, that, and obviously people do, but you're not going to be able to do it with, you know, 74 other super cool people that are into doing the same thing that you're into doing. And unfortunately, um, on other events when people stay in the hotels, you know, they lose some of that because they aren't part of the main group. So what we found is, is that when we have everybody at the same hotel, they kind of form their hotel clique, you know, they form the hotel crew, um, and they still get some of the value uh, of that, of the social aspect of it as well, you know, while you're in town. Right. Okay, just to wrap things up. Sure. Now you, this is one event, now you do several others. What are the other ones you do? Uh, okay. So on the Bike Wisconsin side of things, we have four week-long events. Uh, the Grab Bar Ride from Eagle River to Prairie du Chien. Uh, we have the Bike Northwoods Tour, which is a six-day tour. Um, that one changes every year. And this year we've got, it's uh, we do have three stopping towns with a layover day in each town. Uh, this year is St. Croix Falls. Menominee and Rice Lake, uh, Sagbra, a similar concept, three stopping towns. Oh, and uh, Northwoods and uh, Sagbra, they're both loop tours, so they start and end in the same town. Uh, Sagbra is going to be Stevens Point, uh, Adams Friendship, and Wapaka. And then Wilt Bend, which is a six-day ride from Port Byron, Illinois, which is just north of the Quad Cities, up to Sparta, Wisconsin. So those are the, the week-long bike Wisconsin rides. On Bicycle Illinois, uh, we have a more flagship event for Bicycle Illinois is the Bicycle Illinois Ride. It's a six-day ride from Cairo, Illinois, down to the very southern tip of the state where the Ohio River meets Mississippi. Fantastically cool place to start a bike ride from. Uh, for that one, we bike six days uh, up into downtown Chicago. Um, we also have um, what we call our Champagne uh, Getaway Weekend, which is just a weekend-based running loop routes in and out of Champagne. Uh, we have the Tri-State Tour. Uh, we run that ride twice. That's a one-day ride from Hammond, Indiana to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Obviously, the coolest thing about that ride is you get pretty sweet bragging rides. You get to say that you bike through three states in one day. So right along with Lake Michigan, it's, it's pancake flat. Uh, it's extremely scenic. Uh, so those are really cool. That's obviously very popular with you know folks uh, from Chicago. Um, we've got our rail rides, our rail north and rail south. The rail is short for ride across Illinois. What those are is super, super challenging, super, super intense one-day rides across the entire width of Illinois. So rail north, we're going from Moline to Chicago in one day. That's 175 miles. So really pushing the limits of, of what you can ride in one day. Similar ride, rail south, that goes from uh, St. Louis to Vincent, Indiana uh, in one day. That's 165 miles. Um, and then uh, we've got our Ragbright Transportation Service. So for that, we'll, uh, we transport folks uh, from downtown Chicago to the start of Ragbright, wherever that is uh, every year. So we'll transport you and your bike and your bag to the start, and then also back from the end, uh, you know, wherever that is, uh, back to uh, downtown Chicago. Um, I think, is that it? <laughs> the rest of our rides, I'm just trying to picture. Um, I, I think that's it. Um, in addition, and this is something that not a lot of people know, is we actually also run several contract events. So there's uh, some organizations, uh, typically you know small to mid-sized um, nonprofit groups, uh, who also contract us to run bike rides uh, for their organizations. And they, you know, either they don't know about how to run a bike ride or they're just not really interested in running a bike ride or they just want to make sure that the bike ride is done properly. Um, so they'll contract us to run the event 
um, in their name. And then so we'll run the logistics for that event, whereas they handle all the marketing, communications, uh, and that type of thing. Right. Now, I know Sagbra's got a really long history. Wasn't that one of the first group rides? In- yeah, that was, so Sagbra, the original name, well, right now the Sagbra is an acronym. It, it's short for the Spectacular Annual Great Bike Ride Around Wisconsin. But originally, it was the Sentinel, Milwaukee Sentinel, right. the, the Sentinel's Annual Great Bike Ride Around Wisconsin. And again, um, I'm not exactly sure what year that one started. I want to say it was like, 74 or 71 or something like that so that one i know that one is over 40 years old um so again it's, it's just it's a great honor to be able to continue the tradition of the sag bra rides right okay just to finish things off now yeah. if somebody wants to contact you or learn more about these events how do they reach you What's sure this way? uh so um our website uh well we've got two websites uh bikewisconsin.com and bicycleillinois.com um all the contact information uh, is on those, uh, phone, email. Um, yeah, any questions and need anything at all, please don't hesitate to contact us. We'll be more than happy to, to help you out and get you on the road. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you for sticking around until the end. If you want to know more about Grab Bar or other events hosted by Bike Wisconsin or Bike Illinois, you should go directly to their respective websites. I will include a link in the show notes and the description for this episode to both those sites. If you want to read and see more about my Grab Bar adventures, you should steer your browser to www.wayfarer.bike where you will find links to videos and blogs. I will also put links in the show notes for this episode and the description to the specific Grab Bar entries and videos. So. Please let me know what you think by leaving a comment at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your audio adventures from. Coming up next on the Pedalcast, I have another interview from Grab Bar, which I think you will find interesting. So, until next time, keep the rubber side down and ride safe. Thank you.